Well, good morning, Abundant Life. How are you doing today? It's so good to see you here. How's everybody doing? Oh, I think, I think you can get a little bit more life out of uh, that. Uh, come on, how, how are you? How are you today? All right. Good. It's so good to see you here. I'm glad you're here. If you're with us today for the first time, we started a series about two weeks ago that we called Upside Down. And this series has been based on the teaching of Jesus in what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And within that Sermon on the Mount is a, a passage of scripture that's referred to as the Beatitudes, where Jesus said, blessed are you, blessed are you, and blessed are you, and, and it's called the Beatitudes. And this is a teaching, all of this Sermon on the Mount was a teaching that literally turned the religious world upside down, just, just turned it upside down. Because Jesus came in and teaching and was talking to us about not how you get into the kingdom, but who gets into the kingdom. Because up to this point, you had to measure up. The scribes and the Pharisees had heaped so much legalism, all the laws and the rules and the regulations in order to measure up, in order to be good enough, in order to keep the law. And Jesus comes along, recognizing that none of us can do that, sets the standard so high that the only way any person gets into the kingdom is through him. And so he comes along and he says, blessed are you, blessed are you. Remember the word blessed is the word makarios. It means uh, God's divine favor. It's his, it's his sacred delight. It's sacred because it's from God. It's delightful because it's the only kind of happiness that truly satisfies. Because what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting the happiness that comes from the world and what, what the world says we need to have in order to be happy with true spiritual blessedness, spiritual happiness. And so he's contrasting these. And he's saying, blessed are you and happy are you. The, the word is, is so powerful. It has the idea of, of being in, in an, you are in an envied state. The best way I could probably describe that to you when Jesus said, blessed are you, that other people were, would be envious of the fact that they would be blessed. We look at somebody who has good fortune today. Somebody, you know, receives an inheritance, you know, $200,000 from an uncle, okay? And somebody you don't like, and they get $200,000, and you're, you're thinking, why do they get that? Of all the people in the world... Why did they receive the inheritance? And you're, you're envious of that. Well, that's the depth and the power of this word. When Jesus would look at this person and say, blessed are you and blessed are you and blessed are you and blessed are you, the, the Pharisees is like envious that they would receive that kind of a blessing. And so Jesus, as he looks at the people that day, he begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the best way we can understand that, the most succinct way you and I can understand that, is when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who recognize, who know their dependence upon God. They recognize their deep, deep spiritual need for God because Jesus is saying that it's when you and I come to a place where we recognize that in and of ourselves, we are spiritually bankrupt. There is nothing that we can do to earn our way into the kingdom that, that it can only come through what Jesus did for us. When we come to the place where we recognize that kind of spiritual poverty, that Jesus says, you're blessed, you're blessed. 
I wore my holy jeans today. Some, some have already commented, you know, when are you going to get rid of those holy jeans? I saved them for occasions like this. I was looking uh, through my closet today trying to determine what pair of jeans. I wear jeans every Sunday, and so I was trying to determine what pair of jeans I would wear. And I thought, I'm talking about blessed are, are those who mourn. And when we get into to what that's about and what Jesus has already talked about, the reason I wore these is because all of our good works, all of our spirituality, all of our righteousness is nothing more than tattered garments before God. It's nothing more than, than, than filthy rags before God. And so you and I so desperately need what Jesus is offering to us. And so he, again, he turned the world upside down. And he said, blessed are you. You recognize your spiritual poverty. And then Jesus goes on and he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. The, the word mourn here has the idea of experiencing a grief that is really deep, deep down grief. How many of you remember your first broken heart? Can you remember? Think about it. Can you go back? You might be in, I don't know, junior high, maybe uh, high school. I was probably around uh, probably 16, 17 years old, and um, her name was Debbie. And I was head over heels for, for Debbie. And uh, she kind of left me for uh, someone else. But isn't, isn't it good how God takes our broken heart and he turns it and uses it for something so much better? Because very soon after that, I headed off to college and it was there that I met my wife-to-be, Anne. And we celebrated 40 years last Sunday, Woo! last Saturday or Sunday. And so God turns that, he, he, he takes that broken heart. Now, don't you wish every broken heart could be puppy love? kind of broken heart, but it's not like that, is it? Some of you here in this room today, you're experiencing a deep kind of grief, and your heart is broken today, and I don't know why it's broken. Some of you, your heart's broken because you've been abandoned, and some of you, your heart is broken because of a son or a daughter that you just wish they could find their way. Some of you have a broken heart because because of a relationship that's, that's just, you just can't get it right. Or something's, something's, maybe you have a broken heart because of a sinful condition that, that just it eats you up on the inside and your heart's broken. These are the kinds of things. And what we have to understand in, this, in the, these Beatitudes is Jesus, again, is helping us to see the heart of God. And when you look at the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you get a glimpse into what God's heart is for you and for me. Isaiah, for example, he says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. He says, when you go through the deep waters, and some of you are in deep waters today, and, and you feel like you're drowning. Some of you, he says, when you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Some of you feel like you're going down. And, and when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up because the flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
And you see, this is the heart of God for you and, and for me. And you see the heart of God when he teaches us, when Jesus gives us this amazing teaching that we call the Beatitudes. And so my question today is, how then can we find comfort? How can we find this happiness in the wake of loss? How can you find the joy and the peace that you long for in the, in the midst of the brokenness that you're facing right now? The answer sounds simple, but it's difficult to live out. And, and, and the answer is by experiencing God's comfort. It's when you and I begin to experience the comfort of God, because that's, all, that's the only way you're going to get the joy and the peace that you're looking for in a time of brokenness. And let me, let me explain. So how do we do that? Number one, we need to embrace God's presence. You and I have to mentally, we have to get our heads around that and embrace the presence of God in our life. Sometimes when we're going through a really difficult time in life, we distance ourselves from the people who want to help us the most. Have you, have you ever noticed that? If you've gone through a broken heart kind of moment, a, a season, and you've gone through a broken heart and, and you're hurting, you're aching, you're grieving, and those who want to help you, you've distanced yourself from them. Do you know what I'm talking about? You kind of push yourself away from them. The, the best way I could explain it would be if you were to say a, a, a puppy, okay? Let's say there's a puppy that has run off and it's lost. Maybe it got kicked out the door. Maybe it's been abused. I don't know, but it's, it's out running around by itself. And somebody comes along and they see this puppy and they go over to help the thing. And what does it do? It growls at them. It snarls at them lashes out at them and it's it's angry and it's afraid of the very person that wants to help that that puppy and you see i think it's sometimes that way with us and god and we go through a difficult time we go through a grieving time a broken heart time and we distance ourselves from god because maybe we think you know you know i'm afraid of him I'm afraid of what he's going to do. I don't, I don't, he's going to hurt me. He's going to do something to hurt me more. And we distance ourselves. And that's not the heart of God at all. That's not his heart. His heart is, is so different than that. In Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If your heart's broken, God is so close to you. He's close to those who have broken hearts and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. How does he do that? I think it has a lot to do with our mind and us experiencing, again, God's presence. And Isaiah 26, he says, you will keep in perfect peace all of those who do what? Who trust you. You'll keep in perfect peace those who trust you and all of those whose thoughts are fixed on you. But it's difficult because many times we go through a broken heart moment. Our thoughts are fixed on anything but God. And we're fixed on our pain and our hurt and our loss and all the difficulty. Anne and I were talking about this this past week, and she was sharing with me a statement that she came across in a study that she's doing. The statement is simply this, to know God, to truly see God, radically shifts our perspective of God in our brokenness. When you really know who God is, when you, when you truly see who God is, then it radically shifts your perspective of God as you go through times of brokenness. And so what is it we need to know about God? Well, the first thing is we need to know that he knows. Whenever you're going through a difficult time, 
don't you feel at least somewhat better when you know that somebody knows that you're going through a difficult time? When, when you feel like nobody knows, no, nobody knows what I'm going through. You, you feel isolated. But when you know, at least they know, you feel a little bit better about it. God knows. Whatever is breaking your heart today, God knows about that. In Job, it says, you watch every step I take and you even examine my footprints. You see, nothing is hidden from God. Whatever is breaking your heart today, it's not hidden from God. Not only does he know, but he cares. And that takes it a little bit farther because it's good for somebody to know. It, It feels even better when we know they care because sometimes people know and they don't care. Have you ever experienced that? And that hurts. But God knows and God cares. In Nahum it says the Lord is good and he protects his people in times of trouble. He takes care of those who turn to him. But then it goes a little bit farther. Not only does he know, not only does he care, but he offers help. God can actually do something about it. Have you ever had a friend who was going through one of those broken heart moments and you wanted to help them, but you knew you couldn't? You, there was, you just felt so helpless. You felt like, I wish I could do something, but honestly, there's nothing I can do. And you feel helpless. Last night, Ann and I were sitting in a restaurant where it was kind of, it was petite patisserie. They were having a kind of a little private dinner and we were there and there happened to be somebody um, who was there who knew I was a pastor. And it was kind of weird because he, he came over to him and said, there's a lady outside, she's reading the Bible, and she appears like she needs some help and all that. You know, it's like, could you go out and see her? And I'm thinking, you know, this is probably someone who's wacko, who's crazy, you know, whatever. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm here trying to enjoy dinner with my wife and all this. But I said, you know what, sure, I'd be glad to. I'll, I'll go out. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And because, you know, I'm the holy one, I'm the great savior who's come, you know, now to bless this person. And because I'm a pastor and, and all that. So I go over and, and I, I see this person. And sure enough, you know, she's there reading. And um, <laughs> sure enough, she would know. She, but anyway, uh, you know, and she tells me her story. To make a really long story short, I'm thinking to myself, there's, there's nothing I can do. I wish there was something I could do to help this person. But there really isn't at this moment. But all I could do, I said, could I pray with you? Could I pray with you? Because as a pastor, I guess at least I could do that. And so I, I, I prayed. But I left that, that, that little encounter just with the sense of, of helplessness. I mean, it's like, I wish I could do something. But honestly, money was not going to be an issue. I mean, money wasn't going to help the issue. And, and, and trying to give some physical thing wasn't going to solve anything. But all I could do was pray. But I walked away feeling just helpless. What I'm saying is God comes along and he actually is able to give us exactly what we need in our broken moments, in our broken heart kinds of moments. And Hebrews chapter four helps us understand this. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive. What's the first thing is mercy. Let us receive mercy and then find what's that? Grace. Let us find mercy and grace. Probably the two greatest things you and I need in our broken heart kinds of moments, okay? Mercy, I see it many times as as God withholding what I deserve. And grace being God giving to me what I don't deserve. And so let us come to him with confidence and receive from him his mercy and his grace. And in the broken heart moment kinds of life, I think grace is also his power to get through that broken heart moment, that season of life. Another phrase that Ann and I 
uh, we're talking about, and, and again, she's leading this Bible study, and she said, here's, here's a phrase that she says, you remember I, I showed you this a while back? And, and I thought, yes, I remember that. And that was so good. And the phrase is this, because we're talking about, we need to, we need to get to know God. We need to know he knows, that he cares, that he can offer help and all this. Here's the phrase, as God is exalted to the rightful place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. Stop and think about that. Because many times the brokenness in our lives is because God is not at the rightful place that he deserves to be in our life. Or at least we haven't put him there. We've distanced ourselves from him. And I love this phrase because when we are able to, to put God in the rightful place, which is a place of superiority, authority, of leadership, of lordship, of all of that, when I put him in his rightful place, then all of a sudden, a thousand problems are solved all at once. I mean, stop and think right now. What's an issue you're dealing with? It could be financial, it could be relational, it could be spiritual. And, and I would venture to say that if you could somehow find a way to, to put God in, God in his rightful place, his exalted place, then all of a sudden that issue, you, you see a light at the end of the tunnel and you see a way that that issue can be solved the moment you begin to put God in his rightful place. And so what I'm saying here, here is that, that we need to, first off, we need to, to be aware of God's presence in our life when you're going through this, this, this broken time. And you invite him into that. Now, sometimes we go through broken heart moments of life and we get stuck. Some of you are stuck in a, in a, in a moment in time because of something that happened in the past. And your heart is still broken and hurting over it. And rather than becoming better, you're in actuality growing more and more bitter and angry and resentful. And, and so the second step is this, you and I need to get to a place where we learn to let go of the hurt. We need to just get to a place where we let go of the hurt. So how do you do that? Well, you stop focusing on the, on the hurt. You stop focusing on the past. You stop focusing on what you lost and start focusing on what you have left. Can, because there are several options when it comes to this whole idea of, of releasing the hurt. This is what I see some people do, is they repress it. They stuff it down. And what happens is when you repress it, when you stuff it down and you try to pretend that it's not there, that you're over it, that you're beyond it, but you've pressed it down, you're just, you're growing, with, your heart's becoming harder and you're finding that you're not trusting people anymore and you find it difficult to love people or care for people because you've pressed that anger and stuff down. It's, I see people do that. They, they repress it. They stuff it down. Another thing that people do is they rehearse it. They just go over it and over it and over it. And every time you get into a conversation with this person, they go back three years, they go back five years. And it's like, man, can't you get over that? Can't you get beyond that? And quit playing those, those video tapes or whatever you play these days, CDs, uh, DVDs. Quit playing those DVDs over and over and over. It's probably something even now, you know, whatever you do. And, and Chris, quit playing them over again and again because you're just rehearsing that. And eventually people get tired of the moaning and the groaning. Listen, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, not moan. Okay? 
moaning is like, you know, I'm, I have a great pity party going on and I'd love to invite all of you to come and join me in my pity party. And honestly, sometimes people just get tired of your pity party. Mourning is a, that deep grief that's legitimate, something that really, really hurt. But eventually you move on. Eventually you move on. And, 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 and another thing I see people do is they resent it. They, they live with this sense of resentment. And again, you know people like that. You, they walk around with a chip on their shoulder all the time. You know, you, you, you're walking around eggshells around. You don't, you don't know whether today's a good day or a bad day because they've got some resentment that they push down in their, in their heart. And all you've got to do is say something that reminds them of the person that hurt them. And they go off and it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, what was that all about? You know, and they've got all this resentment. That, that's, just, that's just building because they pressed it down and all this stuff. So what do you do? Well, you release it. And that's, that's number three. You give it to God. You give it to God. You give that heart and that hurt, that broken heart to God. Now, where does the broken heart come from? As I was thinking about this, I think one of the ways you and I experience broken heart today is because of an injustice. Everybody here has experienced an injustice of some, time, some kind. Somebody didn't like you. Somebody had it out for you. Somebody was going to make sure that, that, that you, you know, got what you deserved or something. And, and some injustice was done to you. And so because of that, you're dealing with this, this sense of anger and rage and resentment and all this stuff. And, and so you've got to learn to give that over to God. Give it to him. Romans 12, 19 says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Listen, God can do a better job than you can. Give it to him. Give it over to him. You know, we saw the, the, the news about the shooting in, in Charleston and the, the devastating effect that that had to have had on all of the families that were involved because of, of that act of anger and, uh, and senselessness. And, but yet we hear the stories that are coming out from that. And, and you hear words like, like mercy and, and God's forgiveness and those kinds of things. And sometimes you think, you know, how in the world could somebody possibly forgive? Here's a, here's a clip that just communicates a little bit of, of what I'm talking about. At 21-year-old Dylan Roof's first court appearance, a judge decided to keep him locked up with a million-dollar bond. You're charged with nine counts of murder and one count of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. While off camera, the families of the nine people he's accused of murdering at a Bible study were speaking out with surprising compassion for Roof. He could hear their every word the daughter of Ethel Lance speaking to him directly. I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. The mother of Tawanza Sanders shed tears as she spoke. Police say Roof meant to kill African-Americans. We welcome you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautifulest people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts, and I'll never be the same. But the sister of Reverend DePayne Middleton says she's struggling. For me, I'm a work in progress, and I acknowledge that I am very angry. But one thing DePayne has always joined in and our family with is that she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive. And I pray God on your soul.
most of us will probably never experience the depth of pain that a lot of these people are experiencing. And, and, and sometimes for a lot of us to think, how in the world could they possibly express forgiveness to someone who did such a heinous crime? And that doesn't come easy because you have to go really, really deep inside to find the, the, the forgiveness to extend to somebody who's hurt you to that degree. But you see, forgiveness, and, and these are very wise people who are able to do that. Is it easy? No. Does it mean that what they did was, 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 you know, they should be let off the hook? No, it's not that at all. If forgiveness is really, it's a gift that God's given to you and me so that we can let the prisoner go free. And the prisoner isn't the person who offended. The prisoner is you. Because whenever you and I hold on to a hurt, hold on to a pain, whether somebody who was an injustice intentionally done or unintentional, it doesn't matter. When you hold on to it and you lack forgiveness, you are eating yourself up inside. And some of you here, you're on a leash that's wrapped around your soul called unforgiveness, and it's jerking you back. And you're trying to get on with life, and you're trying to experience joy and the peace and the blessing that God wants to give to you. Blessed are those who mourn and hurt because you've been hurt through an injustice. But you can't forgive. And so it's like a, it's, it's like a leash is jerking you back. And nothing will keep you from experiencing the best that God has for you than unforgiveness. And so you, you let it go, and you, and you give it over to God. Many times the broken heart moments and seasons of life come because of injustice. That's not the only way we have broken hearts. You want to know another way that our hearts are oftentimes broken, or at least should be broken? And that's because of our own stupidity, because of our own sin. And in actuality, I believe this is uh, essentially what this beatitude is all about. Essentially, I think when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, essentially what I believe Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are able to mourn over their own sin, over their own brokenness. I think it has a broader context, but I think the, essentially what Jesus is saying right here in keeping with what he's already said is that blessed are you because you've come to a place where you are in agreement with me that what you did was wrong. And you're able to come to a place where you hurt over your sin. And you hurt over your brokenness. Because until you come to that place, you won't be able to experience the peace. You won't be able to experience the joy and the blessedness that God wants to give to you. And you see, he's saying, blessed are you, happy are you, divine favor rests on you. Because you recognize the brokenness of your own heart. And so it's in that brokenness that you find comfort. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can even understand it? I mean, you agree with me, don't you? That your heart is wicked, that your heart is evil. We know the things we think. We know the things we say. We know the things we imagine doing to people. We know what we've done that's wrong. And, and so when we acknowledge God, that was wrong. And my heart's broken over it. He says, blessed. Blessed are you. Because you're coming to a place where you're recognizing the only way through this is me. It's not by trying to do enough good things to re-earn God's love. It's not about, you know, I'm going to try to be good enough from now on. 
It's not about, well, I'm never going to do that ever again. I'm, I'm gonna, in fact, I'm just going to stop sinning altogether. Because, you know, you can't do that. And so we come to this place where we recognize and we would agree with God about our own evil heart. Roman, uh, Proverbs 28 says this. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Isaiah 66, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. You know, Paul, uh, I, I so identify with Paul, as I'm sure a lot of you do too. He recognized his, the, the wretchedness of his own Condition. In fact, every time Paul talked about his, his sinfulness, every time he does, as he progresses through life, it gets more and more intense. He comes to a greater understanding of the deceitfulness of his own heart. And in Romans 7, he says, who can set me free from my sinful old self? I thank God that I can be free through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes. And so we've come to a place where we recognize that only Jesus can cover us. And we're blessed in that. We're comforted in that because we recognize I stand uncondemned before God. Romans 8.1, read this with me. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And so rather than wallow in our guilt and in our shame, we recognize the brokenness of our heart. We turn to Jesus, the only one who can heal that. And it's there we find joy divine favor. Embrace God's presence. Let go of the herd. Give it to God. And then number four, turn to God's resources. I see people turn to so many things when, when they experience brokenness, regardless of where the brokenness comes from. Sometimes people are hurt by other people, uh, again, intentionally, unintentionally, and they turn to all the stuff they shouldn't turn to. I see it especially when, when we deal with this issue, when people have their sinfulness in their own life and, and they're, they're struggling with it and the guilt and the shame that comes with it. And rather than turn to God, they turn to everything else to try to numb the pain. And so they turn to gambling or they turn to pills or they turn to alcohol or they turn to, you know, just, you know, pleasure trips or they turn to, you know, thrill experiences or whatever, trying to numb the pain. And none of it does. The only thing that can is, is, is God and, and the covering that he gives to us through Jesus and so what resources does God have for us? Here, let me just give you really quick three of them. His word. His word. Just be spending time with God in, in his word. Psalm 119, I'm laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find, what's the word there? Comfort. I find comfort in them. The second thing is his people. The truth is we need each other. We need each other. I, I get so sick of hearing people badmouth the organized church. We live in a culture today where more and more people are badmouthing, you know, organized church. I, I quit going to church because I don't like the organized church. Well, can I just say something? If it wasn't for the organized church, then most of the good stuff that happens in this world would never happen. It never happened. I mean, just for example, uh, on March, no, not March, on August 31st, I think it is, we, we're going to be not having services here, but we're hoping everybody will go over to the three schools that we're going to be doing a facelift for, uh, the, the grade school, the middle school, and the high school over in, in Rockwood. And, and if it wasn't for that, I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that we're organized, would that even happen? 
Sometimes people say, well, I wouldn't go to the church because church is full of hypocrites. You know, whenever I hear that, I, I think, I mean, that's like saying, that is so stupid, okay? That is such a stupid statement. It's like saying, I wouldn't go to the health club because it's full of fat people. Right? I mean, and so honestly, well, you know, yeah, you're right. You, the church is full of hypocrites. And, and if you're not going, then what that in essence is saying is that, well, the hypocrite's closer to God than you are. And, and so we need each other. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have services like this where we can come together. The, the third thing is his spirit. We need his spirit. Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of his spirit. I know some of you are hurting today. If you saw the list of prayer requests that come through every week, I mean, there's a lot of them. And the hurt that so many of you are going through, if Jesus were here today, he would say, blessed are you who mourn because you will be comforted. And some of you, you have a broken heart today because you have a son or a daughter who, who just, they're headed in the wrong direction. Your heart breaks and Jesus says, blessed are you who mourn. Some of you are hurting today because somebody is out to get you. Somebody's trying to make life difficult for you. Somebody has decided that they don't like you anymore and they're going to really make life hard for you. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you. You hurt because of that. And, and I know you're angry. And I know you want to get revenge, but don't, don't do it. And Jesus will look at most of us here and say, blessed are you because I know you, you look at yourself in the mirror and, and honestly, you, you don't like who you've become. And in fact, blessed are you because you can't even look at yourself in the mirror anymore. You think you've gone too far down the road. No, blessed are you. Your heart's broken over that. Because you see, there's coming a day when you and I will mourn no more. And that's because of what Jesus did for us. In Revelation, it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. So what do we do in the meantime? Matthew chapter 11, your heart's broken today. What do you do? What do you do? Regardless of where the brokenness came from, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. And some of you need to recover your life today. And he says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Basically, I'm not going to say, well, if you start doing this, if you, start, if you can measure up and do this and do that. No, I'm not going to lay a bunch of stuff on you that you can't do. He says, if you just keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Some of you, your heart's so heavy and your heart's so broken today, you'd love to live freely and live lightly, but you can't because your heart's so broken and it hurts. You can lay all of that down because Jesus says, blessed are you who mourn because you will be comforted. I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head and some of you here today, your heart's broken because somebody has hurt you and you need to give it up and give it over to God. Some of you, your heart's broken because of sinfulness in your life and, 
and, and you are just hurting inside because you, you know you're guilty. And you live with the shame of that. You need to know that God can and will and wants to forgive you. And you can lay that down and come to him. Some of you have never, ever given your heart to Jesus for the first time and ask him to be your Savior and Lord. So if that's your desire, would you pray with me today this prayer? Father in heaven, today I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to be my Savior and Lord. I'm coming to you today. I'm following you today. I pray this in your name.